0: welcome inside the locked on nfl draft podcast i'm trevor Sycama, joined by contextualized quarterbacking's author himself benjamin solak Hi. ben I, you, we just got started off how proud are you of that thing that thing's beautiful it really
1: is i'm I'm happy about it. I would be happier if I could figure out how to make the uh, resolution on the graphs just a little bit freaking better. Uh, but we spent all morning doing that and we eventually gave up because we were frustrated and we were saying mean things to the computer. But I'm very <laughs> proud. Now I'm very happy how it turned out. I'm. It, it, it's sad because like big step forward in year two for a really bad class. So I'm honestly like already really excited for 2020. Yes. But I just think things are just going to be more interesting because man, I mean, one player graded out well, and it was Kyler Murray and All, everybody else. Already excited
0: TV. for 2020. You and the Miami Dolphins have something in common. Okay. Fish tank, baby. We're getting back to the guest mock draft series. Took a little bit of a break yesterday to get into some prospect rankings. Some of the guys that Ben was uh, was keyed in on. I thought that was a really good discussion if you guys haven't heard that yet. But we're back to the mock draft. We got our guests on the line. But hold on. I want to really quick make sure that I run over the list because you guys haven't heard it in four days, and I haven't beat it into your head enough. Kyler Murray went number one overall. Nick Bosa went number two. Uh, Josh Allen, number three. Quinnen Williams, four. Ed Oliver, five. Dwayne Haskins, six. Jonah Williams, seven. Montez Sweat, eight. TJ Hawkinson, nine. Devin White, 10. Devin Bush, 11. Brian Burns, number 12. Christian Wilkins, 13. Jawan Taylor went 14. Byron Byron Murphy went to the Redskins at 15. Uh, Cleveland Farrell, 16. DK Metcalf to the Giants, 17. I kind of really like that um vikings ended up getting jeffrey simmons at 18 titans got eric mccoy at 19 greedy williams went 20 to the steelers and that brings us to the team far out west where i've been told it constantly rains and they have a lot of coffee the seattle seahawks and to help us out with the seahawks pick we have danny kelly from the ringer danny how are you man how you doing i'm doing excellent how are you guys doing Oh, we're doing good. Ben's probably okay. running off like fumes at this point because I know he didn't <laughs> sleep last week, and then he had the contextualized quarterbacking thing. Listen, but
1: Trevor, how many days there to the NFL draft?
0: Oh, what are, What are we at now? You're <laughs> making me nine. do math on the fly. Are we Are nine. we officially
1: not? No, I think you're stretching nine. Are single really digits. Nine? It's yeah. well, It's ten today. We're recording, but it's nine the day this is coming out, and <laughs> so we're in single digits, which officially means wow. like it's. Threat level, midnight, all right? Like, there's, there's, there's no time to waste.
0: <laughs> so speaking of no time to waste, I want to get into the Seahawks talk, and we're going to get into the rest of the roster. We're going to talk about some of their draft needs. But first and foremost, what yeah. the heck is going on with Russell Wilson talk about him not being a Seahawk anymore? Where yeah. did this come from? Who stemmed it? Is this an actual reality? Are they try? Is somebody like trying to call somebody's bluff what is going on here with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks
2: great question so uh, the Seahawks camp or I should say Russell Wilson's camp set a artificial deadline of April 15th if this if this podcast is going up tomorrow we might have an answer on what happened exactly but um, the basic gist is uh, Russell Wilson's agent and Russell Wilson don't want to have this hanging over their head during the season so it's either get a extension done, today which is monday or he's never going to come back to the table is essentially what peter king had reported yesterday so um i don't know you know obviously things change all the time and and negotiations are all about leverage and so that's obviously a good leverage tool to use um so we don't know for sure if it's actually something that they would really end up doing but the idea is they're never going to come back to the to the negotiating table unless a deal gets done by the end of Monday, April 15th. So we'll see. So he's under contract, right? How many like for another year? He's, or... he's under contract for another year. Okay. And then um, the idea is if they don't get a long term contract done, they could either trade him or they could franchise tag him for two or three years and then kind of like let him walk when he's what, like 33 or 34 or something right, like that. Right. Yeah. So He's 30 right now. Um, so, yeah, it's overall an uh, interesting situation. Obviously, I don't think the Seahawks should move on from Russell Wilson, but he's obviously playing hardball right now, or seems to be playing hardball. Mm-hmm. And So um, there's there's rumors that he wants or reports that he wants to have his contract tied into the percentage of the cap, um, which, oh, would an wow, which would be unprecedented. Wow. Because yeah. wow. he thinks the cap is going to continue to go up. Of which course, because it, it will. Over the last, yeah. And, um, so yeah, there's, there's, he's, uh, you know, apparently he's trying to do these unprecedented things with his contract. So we'll see, you know, what happens. We heard this last time when Russell Wilson signed a contract a few years ago. Um, the reports at that time were that he wanted a fully guaranteed contract, which would have been at that point, the a, first, yeah, the first uh, unprecedented thing. And he didn't end up doing that. So, you know. Again, it's all uh, leverage and negotiations, and so you, you just never really know what to believe. But right now, it's, it appears that Wilson's camp is playing hardball, and they have all the leverage, honestly, because he's the top five quarterback or whatever you want to call him, top seven. Um, so I, I yeah, it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be a long day. Apparently, last time uh, the Seahawks and Wilson went to their deadline or whatever, it got done at about eleven p.m. You know, Pacific time. So mm-hmm. it could be could be watching this all day. Man, so
1: let me let me just like flat out one to ten. <laughs> How scared are you Russell Wilson never plays a game for the Seahawks
2: again? Uh, I'm not scared. I think they'll get it done. Oh,
1: not I just, I just can't. Watched, not is. <laughs> I just can't imagine
0: Russell, w- Russell Wilson not being on the Seahawks. It's just so weird. Not only because of like, the kind of dude he is, where obviously he's been super supportive of his team, and he's such a, like, a, that feels like from an outsider's perspective, yeah. such a team-first dude, such a city-first dude. I understand that don't don't get me wrong I understand that he's playing the game the way that he needs to to get the most money to make, you know, the best living he can while he's got his health and all that kinds of stuff and I I don't fault right. him for that at all. It just seems like a weird situation because like what like it, let's say that the Seahawks don't want to do this what does he get traded for? (laughs) Like, what is the value at that point? Especially knowing that Wilson holds all the cards. It's like the same thing that's going on with Anthony Davis in the New Orleans Pelicans, right? It's like this guy clearly, well, Anthony Davis is a little worse, but it's like, this guy clearly doesn't want to be here, but you don't have to move on from him. Right. It's like, what would Wilson, what would
2: Wilson garner in a trade? Do you even know? I mean, I would hope, I would hope it'd be at least three first round picks. Wow. Um, I mean, if you're trading a pass rusher who, you know, a pass rusher in his elite prime or Cleo Mack, two first-rounders, right, plus change, um, a quarterback who's only 30 years old I think has got to be worth more than that. I just think yeah. the way the, the game is played, like the the value of a quarterback is, is so clear, the way the league is going. Uh, you know, to me, that, that would be the starting point. You don't accept anything less than that. But What if, what if
0: Oakland just goes straight up like all three of their first-round picks this year? Yeah. Just right <laughs> that for would Seattle.
1: Be interesting. But interesting I mean and then uh what Schneider's gonna trade back from all four of his first rounders this year, <laughs> <laughs> bail out get eighty five right. seconds.
0: It's such a weird situation though, because like even on the flip side, if you if you get to a point where you're trading Russell Wilson for whatever reason, however they might get to this road, they're who's the other quarterback on the roster? Paxton Lynch? Do they have another one? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so no, like just Paxton Lynch you're not really drafting a quarterback in this class if his name's not Kyler Murray so then right at th- that at that point this gets super dicey for the Seahawks who basically <laughs> like you said this is really good um I guess a really good tactic for for Russell Wilson's camp because they realize that they basically got the organization by the balls so they can't really do right. anything about right. it right
2: yeah I mean and if you look at the Seahawks uh if their track record and of course they haven't spent a lot of um, capital on quarterbacks because they've had Wilson over the last like six, seven years. But I mean, if you look at their track record of quarterbacks, it's not good. It's really bleak. In fact, I mean, they spent big money on Matt Flynn. Um, it became pretty clear immediately that he wasn't worth that contract. Um, and then, you know, they got like Charlie Whitehurst, excellent, just a bunch of no name dudes uh, on their, on their list of guys that they've, you know, had any sort of longer term interest in having on their team. And so, it's just like, yikes. I, I just really, you know, they lucked into this lottery pick. They got him in the third round. Yeah. I should say lottery ticket. And he's elevated the team, um, especially over the last few years when their defense has started to decline. You know, he's just gotten better and better. And so, um, you know, I, I was making the comparison on Twitter today. Like, you know, the, a bird in hand is worth two in the bush. Like, don't. <laughs> I mean, just like overpay him. Like, right, you, gotta, you know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. You could take your you could take your chances with the draft. Um, if you look at the Seahawks last six drafts, it's been pretty hit and miss, pretty mostly miss. Um, and so, you know, the the draft is just a crapshoot, and you know you're not going to find a top tier quarterback on the free agent market most likely. And so, yeah. you're just potentially setting your team back, like five six years
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah
2: uh ben you got any other non russell wilson questions for
0: him like roster i mean questions? i do okay I i was having
1: a discussion in the eagles slack the other day about what i would send for russell wilson and man i would send carson and a one for wilson in a heartbeat i would do that immediately really? i think russell wilson, I think he's a stud uh yeah. but either way yeah let's talk let's move on because we got to talk Shoot, don't say that too loud
0: seahawks are gonna hire you
1: <laughs> listen 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 jeez Carson coming off injury. Russell Wilson is a known commodity. He has, brings the scramble ability that Carson does to the offense. i don't, oh, never man. been injured. I, I don't disagree with you. Yeah, but, I would love it. But, um, right, we actually got to top draft stuff because technically <laughs> by the time this comes out, it'll already be past the deadline, so who knows what will happen. But right. uh, my number one question whenever I deal with the Seahawks, especially when I'm trying to mock for the Seahawks, is I really don't understand what they're going to do in the secondary at all yeah. uh and so maybe you don't either but haha I get to ask you um talk to what's the starting five right nickels the new base so what like when we go I, I like I you know Trey Flowers fifth round safety was the starting corner is that still a thing like how yeah where, where yeah I need to I need to better understand where the weaknesses are for this secondary because I think there's so many guys who do so many different things and who you envision the starting five being
2: okay so there I don't have a good answer for you in terms of who the nickelback is going to be they got okay, right of the Five. <laughs> <laughs> to me, to me, the top two corners right now are Shaq Griffin and Trey Flowers. Um, and, and, and until someone beats those two guys out, those are going to be the starters. Bradley McDougall, Tedrick Thompson at safety, and then the nickel is going to come down to I think probably one of uh, Akeem King, who they brought back. Uh, this guy, Kalen, uh, Kalen Reed. I'm not even sure I'm saying his name right. Kalon Reed. And then uh, Nico Thorpe is back. And then I, the other guy that I, they're apparently kind of excited about is Delano Hill, which would be like a big nickel situation. He's he's more of a safety, but um, he's he's the guy that they're you know, they've kind of been talking up over the last few weeks as a potential, you know, someone who's going to contribute in that defense. So I don't even know. They might just go big nickel a lot instead of doing the what they did last year where they had Justin Coleman in there for their nickel nickel package.
0: I'm gonna flip over to the offense really quick, just because I want to know what's gonna go on with this running back situation. Because it just seems like, like I'm <laughs> yeah. looking, I'm looking at all five of these names, these running backs. So we got Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, uh, J D. McKissick, C J. Procyse, and Bo Scarborough. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you could like chop Scarborough off if you want, which rip. I my, want him to be the starter. Listen, no, rip, rip my brand basically <laughs> with Scarborough. Um, but I do like you they drafted Rashad Penny in the first round like the dude's got to be the, he's got to start the season as RB1
2: right i mean is uh-huh. that how it's going to shape out or what i don't think so i think it's going to be Carson until you know he either gets hurt or penny does anything to show he's better carson to me was better last year mm-hmm. now penny penny got hurt in the beginning of the season in like training camp he broke his hand and so he missed a good chunk of what, you know, is kind of like the ramp-up period for a lot of rookies. And so that really set him behind. And he, he looked good on a few different runs, but I think Carson overall was more elusive. Uh, he offered a lot in the passing game. Um, I just think Carson is their number one until, you know, until he gets hurt, essentially. And I think they'll try and work Penny in more, um, you know, kind of as like a one-two punch or whatever. But I still think Carson's like their guy. Pete Carroll loves him. Um Carol, Carol was the guy who, like, found Carson. I don't know if he, like, found it, but, like, I believe they drafted Carson in the seventh round because Carol loved him. And then what happened with Penny was they've gone through the last couple of seasons before where their starter would get hurt, and then they wouldn't have anyone good to, like, come in. And obviously they want to run a ton. So I think that was why they spent a first round around Penny was, like, they just didn't trust that Carson could stay healthy, blah, blah, blah. Um, he, did ha- he was kind of banged up at times so like i think there's there's some validity there but um to me carson's the number one penny's the number two or one b and then i you know it's gonna be interesting to see kind of what happens on third downs maybe they'll play penny on third downs i don't know
1: it amazes me that this is the thing that like you could draft a running back round one and then in year two he's not even coming to camp as the starter and that's (laughs) just like somehow justifiable like how (laughs) what are they how do they respond when they get asked about this like they don't yep that's the way they, just it goes sometimes.
2: they just don't care. They really don't care. I mean, it, it's like and the other thing is a big tenet of Pete Carroll's like whole program is competition, you know, which is it's I think he's sort of really trying to focus on that a lot, especially nowadays when they're sort of rebuilding the roster. And, you know, if, if it's a it's a very good and powerful statement, if you got your first rounder sitting behind a guy who is a seventh rounder the year before and simply is just playing better than him, you know. And so I, I I say, you know, Pete Carroll probably looks at that like, that's a bonus. Like, if you get a guy, you can, you can show your 6th, 7th, 5th rounders or whatever, right, that right. if you play well and if you're like, if you put in the work and whatever, then we're going to play you. So, I don't know. I, I don't think they probably don't look at it as a negative. Obviously, fantasy right. players and... <laughs> And fans probably look at it as a negative, but I, to I don't me it's, think they it's
1: can. just it, it was just it's the residual shock of Rashad Benny going first round with three hundred and fifty eight days removed and I still can't handle it. Can't yeah. believe it. But yeah. let me let me ask you this then, because I am I, an Eagles fan. Uh, the Seahawks lost to the Cowboys in the playoffs. So obviously <laughs> I don't experience the same shame and disgust that i'm sure y'all still oh do over my that game oh gosh jesus but there's still a little bit can you not <laughs> antagonize the guests while they're on here's my listen this is lead up it's building the question trevor here's here's the question i want to know how high the ceiling is for this team because to me with russell wilson still captaining it this is a team that perennially should be making the playoffs so i want right. to know you know with brian as the offensive coordinator with you know some of the ways that they like to you know, like deploy some of these different players on their back end. What's the ceiling for this team coming into the 2019 season? And maybe what are, you know, one or two pieces, maybe one offense, one defense that they absolutely have to get, that are must-haves that they have to acquire or a young player has to step into the role with the big holes that will really help them hit that ceiling in 2019?
2: Oh, man. So, I mean, I think their ce- their ceiling is still kind of similar to what it was last year in the sense, like, they won 10 games. I think they could probably be like an 11-game Winner This year, but I also have a floor of like six or seven. My question with the Seahawks coming into the next season is how hardcore are they going to be about this run first philosophy? Because in the, in the playoff game, I think the vast majority of fans, not everyone, but the vast majority of fans think they ran it way too much and they abandoned or they, they tried to like do what they do rather than adapting to what was happening in the game and like, you know, letting Wilson do his thing a little bit more. Um, if they're going to do that again next year, I have I have questions about whether they're going to be able to kind of hit with the efficiency that they were able to hit with last year in terms of the passing game. Like Russell Wilson was an elite deep passer last year. Um, you know, his, his passer rating on passes to Tyler Lockett was literally perfect. It was like 153, whatever it is, 153 point something. Yeah. And so, eight. yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, so I, I think when you're shooting for perfection again on deep balls, uh that's a high bar. And, you know, it's just to me it's gonna be very hard to do a run first or run heavy philosophy like they did last season. Um if Wilson's deep passing just regresses to the like regresses slightly. It's just you know, you could have a, a serious drop off. And so I think long story short, I think they need to adapt and, and be able to be a little more flexible in game to kind of like their opponent, which is like the, you know, it's like the Patriots thing is they they have a game plan for every different opponent to like try and exploit their biggest weakness. To me, the biggest thing with the Seahawks is they clearly couldn't run the ball and they just kept doing it. And then after the game, Pete Carroll was upset that they didn't run it more. And so I'm just like, if they try and do that again next year, I, it's going to be very difficult to kind of maintain the efficiency they that they
1: established, Daniel. They 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 impress the culture upon the opposing
2: teams. <laughs> All right, so. so that's that's what worries me. I think their floor is is six or seven games. Yeah, win wins and and they're if they can hit that efficiency again, if they can w- let Wilson do what he wants to do a little bit more. Um, I mean, you got offensive linemen saying that they're they they need to pass more, which is yeah incredibly rare to say like Lyman want to run the ball right. <laughs> dwayne brown went on tv and was like yeah we could probably we could probably pass a little bit more <laughs> so all right so let's assume russell
0: wilson is going to be on this team next year what are a couple of draft needs like maybe a couple of different positions you think they're really looking at especially in this first round and then let's get a
2: pick for you uh here at 21 so I still think they need edge players. Um, Frank Clark right now is going through uh, contract negotiations. Um, his long-term, you know, future with the team is sort of up and, up and there. So he, I think he, like, edge number one is a big deal. Um, I think they still want to add more to their interior defensive line. They just, Pete Carroll's always liked having a lot of, uh, you know, dynamic defensive lineman that they could play in a rotation. That's been a big part of kind of what they've done building from the trenches or whatever. Um, And then I think, you know, like you said, at the beginning of the segment, like cornerback is still a major need. I don't know if they're going to go for the first round. A lot of people, a lot of CX fans like to say they never do, right? right, That they never have. But I mean, I don't think that means they wouldn't. I just think that they haven't. So, you know, I think it's just one of those things where those to me are the the big needs. Obviously offensive line is always something that I'm going to, want the Seahawks to, to invest in um so I think to me that it's it's the trenches and then corner so then who's it gonna be who you taking so this is a, a pick that I've um kind of connected with the Seahawks a bunch and, and I like Jerry Tillery of Notre Dame for the Seahawks Woo-hoo! a lot I just think he fits that makes sense man he just fits yeah exactly he fits their their personality fits yeah. their their scheme. I think he could play five technique on base downs yes, on the that edge. That makes
1: a lot of sense for him. Yes.
2: Yeah, and then he could bump inside and, and and rush from the inside on on obvious passing situations. They like having those versatile type guys. Yeah. I had to get a guy like him and Malik McDowell. That didn't work out because he got um, injured in that uh, ATV accident. Um, but I I don't think that necessarily means they're going to stop looking for that kind of player. I mean, last year they had. A guy like Quentin Jefferson was playing on the edge a little bit. Rasheen Green, they they picked in the third round last season. I think they they like those kind of versatile, athletic, long guys. That's always been a thing. It's like Pete Carroll loves tall, <laughs> tall defensive linemen that can kind of disrupt passing lanes with their hands, You know, kind of just give um, give their defensive line a different look rather than just having a bunch of sort of like 6'3", 300-pounders three, or whatever. So sure. to me, that, that just fits their defense.
0: I like to pick a lot. I really do. Um, that was an awesome breakdown of basically everything, which we is we, we made you stay topical. We got you with draft stuff. We got you with roster stuff. So Danny, thank you so much for joining the podcast, man. We really appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully this time tomorrow, Russell Wilson will be long-term, long-term deal. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Fingers crossed,
0: baby. Man, if it's not, I'm, I don't, I'm still leaving this part in the podcast. So people can, people can <laughs> figure it out. All right, Ben, we got the Ravens coming up next. I am super excited for our next guest who's picking for the Ravens. We got a treat for this one. Stick around, guys. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Locked on NFL Draft podcast. Trevor Sykema and Ben Solak here with you. We're at pick number 22. Danny gave us some convincing. You know what I'm going to say? Like, I think that Russell Wilson is going to still remain a Seahawk. I just can't not picture him as a Seattle Seahawks, Ben, can you, well, obviously you might want that because you proposed an Eagles trade where he goes to Philly, but.
1: Very bold saying this before on the 15th, right? Like this is coming out kind of after we know what happens. So I appreciate the gumption there. I know. But no, Danny helped a lot. Like I said, when I talked to him, Seahawks are a tough team for me to mock for. So I'm excited he took Tillery. That's an interesting fit.
0: No, it's a I good think, fit. I think that that was a good fit as well. That brings us to number two or number 22, sorry, the Baltimore Ravens. And joining us now to help us pick for the Ravens and to really just overall pick his brain about the NFL draft process in general, we have Dane Brugler from The Athletic here with us. Dane, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really do appreciate it.
3: Oh, it's uh, my pleasure to join you, gentlemen. Uh, it's hard to believe drafts uh just around the corner here, but here we are. Ben
0: is reminding me that we are single digits away when this podcast Woo! is going to be out, which is just kind of crazy to me you just released uh a draft guide that is correctly the, labeled the, the draft guide. the beast because this thing is so thorough there are so many words here I can't wait to I was diving into it a little bit this morning I can't wait to get to uh to more of it kind of in the next coming days and really get to the nitty-gritty of it but the first thing that pops out to me Dane is your quarterback rankings and I know everybody's probably gonna kind of ask you about this but you have Haskins at number one, and you have Kyler Murray at number two. So what did you see in both of those guys? You see it a little bit differently than certainly a lot of other people do. What do you see? Let's just start off with Haskins, who you have as QB1. What did you see in him that you really liked as a guy who could be a franchise potential franchise quarterback? Uh,
3: it's all about the arm. Uh, he has a special arm, uh, not just velocity but accuracy. Um, and I think that a lot of his issues are – experience-based and not talent-based so yeah. you know he 14 starts in his career right uh, once he gets more experience uh you know working the lower body uh the mechanics I think some of those uh inaccurate throws uh, where he's kind of off platform and you know his, his lower body is on a different page than his upper body I think that'll correct itself and uh I'm, I'm just gonna bet on the arm and what I believe he offers above the neck I, I think that the the acumen, uh, just the way he can uh, – the, the way he improved throughout the uh, the season last year, uh, I, I think really, really showed, you know, where he's going. Not just where he is right now, the prospects you're getting, sure, but what he's going yeah. to be a year from now and, and moving forward. So I'm betting on Dwayne Haskins gives that arm. And, I, you know, I have him and, and Kyler Murray back-to-back in my rankings uh, just overall. I think they're both, you know, mid-first-round guys. They're both probably go higher than that. Uh, with Kyler – you know, it's the passing instincts, uh, just the, you know, he's a mini Mahomes out there. But right. I, I do worry about just – it's so hard watching this film, again, uh, the Big 12, and then trying to uh, project that forward against what the NFL is going to throw at him defensively, just the right. speed of the game. Some of those sight lines just aren't going to be there. Uh, I, I mean, I think Kyler Murray is going to have success. I just – there are some things I do worry about that I think cloud is projection. Uh, I mean, it's similar in ways to Haskins. I, I'm not a huge fan of this quarterback class. I don't love either of these guys. But I do I, I do like them both as mid-first-round types.
1: Right. And, and and I the contextualized quarterbacking, so my charting work in the quarterbacks just came out. And I'm not as close to as high on Haskins as I think you are. I don't think I like the arm as much. But those two things that you mentioned that I think are really important— really I think good upstairs and definitely grew throughout a year of starting and like that's that's enough for me to be like all right let's figure out what we've got with this guy right but let, let's talk a little bit more I want to go rankings and I want to go your wide receiver rankings because I think as we talk about the Baltimore Ravens we're going to have to talk about pass catchers that's one of the big needs that's on their roster and so Metcalf comes in at number one for you but what stands out to me is Marquise Brown at two and Paris Campbell at four those obviously being the two big speedsters in the class Talk a little bit about when when you're looking at Brown's film, obviously a smaller player dealing with injury right now. What makes you feel comfortable putting him up high? And then Paris Campbell, when it comes to the usage and people have a lot of complaints about his depth of target, what about their film helps you assuage those concerns and still rank them high in a class that has a lot of big bodies at
3: wide receiver? And with Marquise Brown, it goes back to kind of what we just talked about in the Big 12 and, you know, how do you – playing against a lot of corners that aren't going to play in the NFL, playing – uh, in a wide open offense uh, with a Heisman winning quarterback the last two years, uh, you know, if Marquise Brown, it, the production's awesome, but you know, so was the you know talent around him and you know the circumstances really allowed for him to shine. But I think when you look at it, the speed uh, is just it's special, the explosiveness, his ability to accelerate, decelerate on command, uh, and the vertical skills. It's not just speed; it's tracking skills, his ability to. Uh, Track the football, make those, uh, you know, judgments down the field when the ball's in flight. It's very Deshaun Jackson-like. So I think Marquise Brown, he's in the late first round discussion for me. You do worry about the 166 pounds coming off the lift strength surgery. Certainly, I think those things are something you have to consider, especially Mm -hmm. when he got to Norman two years ago. He was 144 pounds. Like, this is is not a big guy. He's not going to carry more than maybe 175 pounds, and that's a maybe. I mean, I was – I was really surprised when he was only 166 pounds at the at the combine because he had his surgery, the foot surgery in January, so he knew he wasn't going to be able to work out at the combine. I would have been eating McDonald's every day, just, you know, get that get that weight up, you know. I mean, just one 170 looks better than 166. So you know, I was a little surprised at his weight um, at the combine, but you know, you're just going to bet on that athleticism, and it's a similar thing with Paris Campbell. And I think you're right when you talk about the usage and. Uh, you know, because he was basically that H-back, you know, the Percy Harvin role in Urban Meyer's offense. But I, the thing that really swayed me, because I was not in love with him before the combine, watching him go through some of those downfield drills where he was asked to track the football. He was asked to uh, run some downfield routes. It looked really natural for him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the four-three-one and the 40, that's great but what really happened at the combine that I think swayed the conversation with Paris Campbell is how he did in the positional drills. And so for a player that's six foot, 205 pounds uh, has the four three one speed and for a red shirt senior, he is a really young guy. He won't turn 22 until the summer. Uh, I mean, he, he skipped kindergarten uh, at a, and so he enrolled at Ohio state at only 16 years old. So he's still a young guy for a red shirt senior. Um, I, I'm a believer in Paris Campbell and, not again, kind of like Haskins. Not what he is right now, or only what he is right now, but what he can be when you know teams allow him to expand the game a little bit.
0: I'm gonna need Campbell to go back and finish kindergarten, so I make sure that he's got his complete education red underneath flag. his belt. Um, they, no, that's... they
3: all have red flags. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that was—I mean—that's good stuff, man. Marquise Brown, that weight worries me a lot, but I mean, t- truly, <laughs> on on the field, I mean, I'm with you when when him and Kyler were were really on. That was truly a one-two punch that not a lot of teams can stop. I know um, there are a lot of teams in the NFL that are going to want to try to replicate something like that. I want to move on to your offensive tackles really quick because you have four first-round grades right there, and then Greg Little you have as a first-second kind of a guy. You're obviously pretty high on this offensive line class, and or this offensive tackle class, and then right at the top is Jonah Williams. I think we started this year off thinking Jonah Williams was that number one offense, offensive tackle and as the years gone on, I feel like people are really nitpicking him. Do you, I mean is that kind of the, the thought that you got as the months went by? I mean, this guy's played right tackle and left tackle, and two two years at left tackle for Alabama. He's played in some of the biggest games, gone against some of the the best pass rushers. I mean, are we overthinking Jonah Williams? Is that just the case here? Because I see you have him that high.
3: I, in my opinion, yeah. I mean, if if you don't think Jonah Williams is a top fifteen pick in this draft, and you know, he can only play guard. I, I don't know. I, he played left tackle at a high level at Alabama. 44 straight starts, uh, like you mentioned. Crazy. Right tackle to freshman. Left tackle the last two years. I, I mean, there's there's so much to like about him. And, yes, he doesn't have ideal arm length, but 33 and 5 eighth-inch arms is more than enough. And what I really like about him, and he, like, he's not on the same level as Joe Thomas, you know, future Hall of Famer. But he overcomes his lack of uh, that elite length, elite feet in the same way because he's so smart. He's so instinctive, quickly finds those landmarks, and it's so technically sound where he understands the details of the position. Now, there are some times where length will get to him, and he'll have trouble with that. Cleveland Farrell, Exhibit A in the national title game, but I think that he is able to mask that. Uh, in in ways that a lot of the other offensive tackles aren't, because he's so instinctive and he's so fundamentally sound. And so uh, to me, uh, Jonah Williams is—he's actually number four overall in his draft class for me. I wow. wouldn't hesitate to take him high. Uh, I mean, I think he's a plug-and-play tackle. And it's kind of like Zach Martin, where if you wanted to play guard, I'm sure he could and right. play an. Oh a high sure, tackle. of course, yeah. But you're right. But I'm keeping him a tackle, and I think that's where he can really shine at the next level.
1: Let's start to transition the the conversation a little bit now to to the Ravens. Still, I think, keeping our foot solidly in your draft background. Lamar Jackson, now the incumbent starter. Obviously, they've got good offensive minds there in Greg Roman. Marty Mornoway can be able to develop a, a, a system where a super mobile quarterback like Jackson will be successful. Leaning back on your Jackson evaluation from 2018 and looking at this roster, what do you want to surround Jackson with to be successful? Well, how do you think the Ravens might build an offense around him? Obviously, they have a, a stable of backs. Is it going to be a very heavy sort of like read option, power option style of offense where they really try to run the football? What receivers is he going to work with best that are going to play to his strengths? When you're building an offense around Jackson, which pieces in this draft, and especially maybe guys that will be around at 22 overall, would you add for Lamar Jackson?
3: Yeah, and I mean, you you hit on it the the offense and the way they're building things, the tight ends with Nick Boyle, Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst, and you know I, I certainly understand it. When you studied Lamar Jackson last year um, with what he did at Louisville, I, I think that there were plenty of concerns, especially him throwing like to the sideline, uh, deep throws, just the timing and everything. It just it wasn't there on a consistent basis, and so. Look, I I get what they're doing with the run game, the tight end, but you cannot play or you're not going to be able to win at a high level unless you have some type of talent at the receiver position and you want to be able to help out your quarterback. So I I, Paris Campbell to me. I love the fit and I know some some Ravens fans might, you know, roll their eyes a little bit. Oh, another speed guy in the first round, you know, a little little unrefined and you know, that might bring back some bad memories of past 1st round pick receivers there. But I think that with Paris Campbell, we talked about him before, I think the upside about, again, not only what he is now, but what he's going to be and how he continues to grow and develop with the the more chances he has to uh, expand that route tree. Uh, but I, what, he, what he did on tape, I think, is enough where he can justify that pick at 22 uh, as an underneath player where you're doing a lot of bubbles and jet sweeps and, Things that are going to help out your quarterback, uh, you know, high percentage throws, uh, stuff that's really going to you know, a lot of motion is going to help that offense. So I think Paris Campbell as both a receiver that can be a downfield threat and develop into more of a vertical guy, but also a guy that can be an extension of the run game uh, at the line of scrimmage, and I, I think that it meshes really well with what they're doing. So at twenty two. Uh, Paris Campbell from Ohio State, I think, makes a lot of sense for Baltimore.
0: Man, okay. I mean, like, I think that you're a little bit higher on Paris Campbell than I am, but certainly, kind of who Campbell was for Ohio State, certainly that guy that you can get the ball into his hands really quickly, do stuff, do a lot of things after the catch. Uh, that I felt like was missing from a comfort standpoint for Lamar Jackson last year, and so I, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense there schematically. Ben, what do
1: you think? Listen. All I know is DK is still on the board and the Eagles picking three picks. That's the only information I currently have. And it's the only information You've been, that's interesting to me.
0: Yeah, no, you, you're right. I wanted to, so I, I just wanted to ask you one more question about the Ravens because I do think that they're going into, into an identity change. And I think that, I think that offense is, is the right pick for them. Like you said, really making sure that they're putting everything that they need to around a, a franchise quarterback that they selected last year. But What's the identity of this team, I think, going to be going forward? Like, the Ravens have been so much known for defense is first. They're going to run the ball. They're going to kind of control the clock, all that stuff. I think that they obviously still want to run the ball. Jackson can do plenty of that. But it also feels like the ceiling for Jackson is so much more of an electrifying offense. Maybe, you know, this quick hit kind of an offense. Some no-huddle stuff. Moving the ball quickly. And that doesn't always mesh really well with a team that has a defensive identity. Do you think that Lamar Jackson's presence in Baltimore is almost going to start to maybe flip priorities or am I kind of overthinking that and, and Baltimore is still going to be a defensive based team?
3: Well, when you draft Lamar Jackson, I mean, you really have to change uh, your identity. I mean, you have to really go all in or, you know, you don't draft the player because Lamar Jackson is, He's such a dynamic player, uh, but you have to cater to his strengths. And I, I think you're on to something there. And it, it will be interesting to see how they do attack this defense because we saw, you know, the the players they lost with CJ Mosley and Zadarius Smith and yeah. uh, you know all those guys. It, they have to rebuild that defense. And so, are we going to see, uh, you know, these pass rushers? Terrell Suggs is gone. These pass rushers that they've invested in in the last few years, guys like Tyus Bowser, Tim Williams. Uh, Matthew Judon uh, are these guys going to step up uh and, and fill those roles uh, It's it's going to be interesting because they have to improve some of these defensive spots regardless of what they want to do on offense so uh you know it's really going to be interesting how they attack this draft uh, especially with Eric DaCosta being his first uh draft as yeah. a general manager yep. He's he's been a bridesmaid for how many years uh now he's he's finally the guy and you know it's it's all on him to to do this, and so I think you know helping out his young quarterback in the first round makes a ton of sense. Whether that's uh, a wide receiver, uh, I think you know if uh, if McCoy was available, I think he would make sense. Give more uh, interior line depth, uh, but uh, defense uh, there's some there some holes there. That, you know, no matter what you're doing on offense, you need pass rush, and so uh, sure. right now I think what Tyus Bowser and uh, Matthew Judon are. I think penciled in as the starters, as uh, kind of your outside linebackers. And so, you know, they could use more juice uh, out there. So we'll have to see. If, is one of these pass rushers fall to them uh, at 22? Probably not. You know, talking about your Brian Burns and Cleveland Farrell and those guys, uh, maybe in the second round they, they go after a, a Winovich or someone like that. It should be interesting to see how they attack this defense, but I do expect offense in the first.
0: He is the draft guru for the athletic. He's got an incredible draft guide out there. Please go subscribe to The Athletic. Not just for Dane, but there's so many great athletic writers that are doing a lot of really great things. Get the subscription. Download the draft guide. You won't, uh, you won't regret it at all. Dane, thank you so much for joining us, man, getting us caught up on some stuff and making it a pick for the Ravens.
3: Anytime. Enjoy it, guys. See you all, right,
0: all right, Ben. You know, you got your wish. You got your wish. DK Metcalf is still on the board. He survived and the, the Ravens. And The Eagles? The Eagles? They're coming up here, all right. Which so, they
1: don't—they don't need them at all. I just love the idea of it.
0: I mean, you know, you like stacking talent. That's not a bad thing. You don't yeah. have to shy away from that.
1: Eagles are gonna go DK, Alshon, Ertz, Goddard, You're four pers- wide. You're
0: personally gonna like sign up somebody to pick for the Eagles. I'm gonna intercept the card. I'm just, gonna I'm gonna, yeah. Just, I'm
1: in Nashville. I'm gonna infiltrate the draft, man. <laughs>
0: Oh, man, we only got a handful of picks left because there's only a handful of days left until the 2019 NFL Draft. So we will be back tomorrow. We will be continuing the 2019 guest mock draft. So until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Lockdown NFL Draft.